0: It's good to see you all this morning. Good morning. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And uh, we are preaching through the book of Colossians and we are in Colossians chapter one. And uh, I know there's a lot of sickness going around. Good. Some are up, some are down, some are back now and among the living. So um nevertheless we're glad I'm glad to see all of you this morning and um grateful for how our hearts have been prepared for God's word. I'm going to begin reading here uh from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6 and the title of the message today is called the fruit of the gospel. Let's stand in honor of God's word and let's read together. Paul says Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your holy and inspired word. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate our hearts and our minds that we may see Christ high and lifted up. We pray that you would, uh, do your work of transformation in our hearts, conforming us to the image of your dear son. And uh, above all, may we, may those that are here today who may have never heard the gospel, that may they understand that gospel for the first time. And, uh, we pray for those that are sick and unable to be here, that Lord, that you would encourage their hearts and, and that, um, and that Lord, that you will work in every circumstance as you know each one. We love you and praise you and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit and that the word will be, go forth in power and in truth. In Jesus name, amen. You may be seated. Today we are going to continue our study in the Colossians, in our Colossians series. And we've entitled this series "Christ Sufficient, Christ Supreme." And in the book of Col- in this letter, this book called Colossians, we find a church that is seeking to put Christ first in a culture that would replace him and replace the gospel with just about anything. And so, to begin our thoughts this morning, it's Christmas time. We're thinking about Christmas. We're singing beautiful hymns that remind us of Christ coming into the world. And uh, I'll, I'll just simply uh, use this illustration about Christmas trees and fruit. You may not know this. I think you should know this though. Christmas trees do not bear fruit. They do not bear fruit. Now there are some really cool Christmas trees out there. Maybe they do bear fruit. Uh, I, I know I was at Scott Amanda's house and they have a Star Wars Christmas tree and that's the best Christmas tree I've actually seen all year. But anyway, Christmas trees, however, they don't bear fruit. And our Christmas tree at our house reveals how our family has grown and changed through the years. Uh, Christy's dad, my father-in-law, he has made it a tradition going back to our dating years, getting ornaments uh, that remind us of joyful memories and major milestones in each of our lives. And so now our tree is just filled, uh, with ornaments because do the multiplication, seven of us, and there you go. We'll probably have, you know, ten trees before it's all said and done. Nevertheless, all the ornaments on the Christmas tree serve as kind of a symbolic fruit telling you about our family And everything that has been going on in our lives through the years. Maybe your ornaments on your tree work the same. Well, I bring that up because this passage that we just read is really, it is an expression of thankfulness and prayer that Paul makes as he's beginning the letter. And this passage is like that Christmas tree. You read it and you see all the ornaments of growth that have uh, taken place in the life of this church, all the things that have been happening in this little church and why it makes Paul so thankful to the Lord for them. This church is marked by faith in Christ, love for one another, and a hope that abides in heaven. But the question that we might ask is, How did all these things come about? How did all those ornaments get on the tree? How did all that fruit appear? How did these things come about in these believers' lives? And the answer to that is, is that it is all through God's work of grace in their lives through the teaching and preaching of the gospel. The existence of this church to whom this letter is written is really the fruit of the gospel so in light of that here's the here's the central truth in in these remaining verses in paul's thanksgiving it is this the true gospel is at work in the church in fact i'm just going to stop right there that's what i want you to walk away with i just want you to walk out of here today saying you know after looking at that passage in colossians it is clear that the true gospel is really at work in the church. And it is bearing fruit in our lives as we share it with others. But the big banner over the text today is the true gospel is at work in the church. So how do we see that key truth? How does the gospel work? What's Paul say here that shows us how the gospel works? How were they, these Christians in this church, just like us sitting here today, how were they to make sense of what God was doing in their lives? And so here's what you're going to see. You're going to see three things. One, you're going to see first that the gospel shows up into their lives. The second thing you're going to see is you're going to see the gospel is at work in their lives. It produces growth. And then the third thing you'll see is is that the gospel is to be shared. Those are the three things. And, that, and that's how you're going to see the gospel working in this church through these verses today. So let's look at the first thing. The first thing is this. The gospel is for the world. Or before we consider that, let me say it this way. The gospel shows up. That would really be the first point. I didn't change it on the outline, but the really, the real point about the Gospels for the world is, is that the Gospel shows up. Look at the text in front of you. The passage says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the Gospel, and underline these words in your Bible or highlight them in your mind, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. Underline those words, the Gospel, which has come to you. And and, and another way to say that is the gospel just showed up and it showed up in two ways. Look at this. First, it showed up locally. It came locally to them. The gospel had come to them on a local level, to the community, to the city of Colossae. And so what Paul does here with that phrase, which has come to you, you could literally just translate that, has entered your lives. That would be a rough translation. It has entered your lives. Paul is personifying the gospel as a person or a guest that is visiting someone's home. I mean, that that really is the the connotation, the the implication of what he's suggesting. That the gospel in, in a personified way showed up in their lives, uh, this is exactly how Christ shows up in our lives and how the church is 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 formed. Uh, let me give you an illustration out of Jesus's lives, out of his life. Uh, do you guys remember Zacchaeus? Everybody remember Zacchaeus? And and based on our Sunday school lesson, I hope I'm not reading anything into this text. So, uh, but but into the story about Zacchaeus, but. But but I think there's something really cool about this event in jesus's ministry You remember zacchaeus Jesus was passing through jericho and the crowds were pressing in upon him and here this guy He was short in stature. He was a short guy He wanted to see jesus. He was a tax collector And so in order to see jesus he couldn't see above all the people standing On the crowds and it probably been awkward if he would have gotten to somebody's shoulders So he climbed up a sycamore a tree And when he climbed up that tree, he just wanted to get a glimpse of the one that claimed to be the Messiah. And if you remember, Jesus stopped as he was walking. And do you remember what he did? The scripture says that he looked up in the tree and he looked at Zacchaeus and he said to Zacchaeus, Come down from there. I know all the kids right now, you're thinking that, that Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, all right? So, but he did. He looked up to the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. And you know what he said? For I must stay at your house today. The Bible says that Zacchaeus hurried down and he joyfully received Christ and went to his home. Jesus showed up in Zacchaeus' life. Now, some of you would be horrified because unexpected guests stress you. That's how it is in my home. And my wife wants to yell amen right now. Right? An unexpected guest stresses you. If a guest is going to show up, you have to sweep the house. You have to wash the dishes. You have to scrub the bathrooms, light the candles, and make sure everything is perfect. So Jesus... Doesn't wait for people to get their houses in order In other words, he doesn't wait for them to have their lives in order He might have showed up in Zacchaeus's house But the truth is Zacchaeus's life was a mess wrecked by greed and materialism and dishonesty But jesus showed up in his life anyway and the illustration serves this He just shows up in the lives of sinners. That's what Christ does. He shows up in the lives of sinners like Zacchaeus, like the Colossians, and like you and me. And when he does, do you know what he announces? Just what he announced to Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, see that illustration? That really is just kind of in line with what Paul is saying. Paul says here, that's how God works. He shows up. And baked into the gospel itself is that idea. Christ took on flesh and he entered into the world. He showed up on the planet. He tabernacled among us. And John says that we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father in grace and in truth. Aren't you glad that that is how God works? And for us today, Jesus is in heaven, but he shows up or he is show, he is shown up in our lives through the preaching of the gospel and through the saving power of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. You didn't find the gospel. The gospel found you. The Colossians didn't find Christianity. Christianity found the Colossians. And Paul wants them to know that that is exactly how grace showed up in their lives. Now, maybe you're here today. And you're here because you figure you need to get back in church. Or maybe you're here because you just wanted to check out what's going on. Check out the new pastor. Or you're in a tough place in life. I don't know why you're here, but you have come to church. But right now, the gospel is presented to you. It is before you, the truth that Christ has died for your sins, that he is risen from the dead, and that through faith in him, you can be forgiven and you can know that he is Lord, worthy to be worshipped. And so the good news is, is the gospel in some sense, has shown up to you. The question is, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, is will you receive it? Will you enter Will you enter into his rest and salvation? You simply must believe and call on him today, and you will be saved. But for every Christian here today, and for the church here to whom Paul writes... He wants them to realize that the gospel has come to each person individually in our conversion experience. But it also is what has formed us as a church. So the gospel has formed us as a church locally. It has shown up in our lives. Now, the second thing you see here is the gospel not only shows up locally, but the gospel spreads globally. Isn't that what the text says? It says that this gospel, which has come to you, has entered your lives in saving power. He says, as indeed in the whole world. In other words, it's showing up everywhere. It's spreading everywhere. So at the same time it has entered into the Colossian people, their lives, the gospel has gone out into the world. And so Paul demonstrates that there are local churches But that the Christian faith is not a local faith. I want you to get that. The Christian faith is not a local faith. It is not a regional sect. The Christian faith is not a mystic or religious experience. The Christian faith is a global announcement that salvation has come to the entire world. Which is exactly what god promised in the old testament Consider what jesus said in matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 He said in this gospel this good news of my coming the kingdom of god coming into the world Will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to who to all the nations of the world And then the end will come And so even jesus in his ministry understood that the news about his coming was not just for the jewish people it wasn't just for the people in the nation of israel this news of his coming it was for everybody and so today we can say that that message of the gospel really is a global message because there is no message there is no person that has had such a global impact like that of jesus christ christ is the savior of every continent he is the savior to every country. He is the savior to every county. He is the savior to every, every county, every city, every community, and to every citizen of every nation. There is no other savior. And wherever the gospel has been proclaimed and sinners have been saved by God's grace... And churches have been founded. There are people who worship Christ as Lord. That's what Paul wants these Colossian believers to know. He wants them to know that the Christian faith is not created by regions or cultures like other false religions. And the Colossians would be encouraged to know that the same Jesus that they worship was the same Jesus being worshipped throughout the Roman Empire. In other words, Paul wants to remind them that when you all gather in the city of Colossae and you hear the preaching of the gospel, the Ephesian Christians are doing the same thing. The Corinthian Christians are doing the same thing. And it gives you a sense of the universality of the gospel message. That's not to say every person in the world is going to be saved. But it is to say that the only way a person anywhere in the world at any point in time in history Can be saved is through believing the message of jesus christ That's the point Y'all remember the newsboys I'm talking about 90s worship right now You guys remember the song he reigns? And it says the song of the redeemed rising from the african plain The song of the forgiven drowning out the Amazon rain the song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire And then the chorus goes it's every tribe every tongue every nation a love song born of a grateful choir It's all God's children Singing glory glory hallelujah He reigns You see that is the anthem of the Christian faith Not just a local church singing that, but local churches spread throughout the entire world singing the truth that Christ is Lord and that he indeed is the Savior. That's the song of heaven. Revelation chapter 7. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So do you see this? The gospel, it shows up and As it shows up it it is a gospel that is for everyone It is a gospel for everyone locally To hear and to receive but it is a gospel that has gone global And that has been heard and received in every nation tribe and every tongue And people have believed and come to faith in christ Now you may say sit here today and you may say okay, so 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 what happens if I grasp that what why does this matter? Well, think about it. The Colossian Christians were first-generation Christians. So don't you think, as a new Christian, it would be encouraging to know that that the Christian faith is bigger than just your church? It's bigger than just your city? I'm not trying to suggest that what goes on here is not important because it is. But isn't it good to know that That what is going on here is going on across the world when believers are gathered they're worshiping the same christ that we're worshiping In other words, this is not some faith that originated up in the hills somewhere that surround us This is the global message of Salvation We worship brothers and sisters we worship the lamb of god who came to take away the sin of the world the one mediator between god and man Jesus christ and we join with every believer To worship him. That's one of the joys of going to Things like together for the gospel Or other conferences that you could attend and you and you're joined in with thousands of others people who don't necessarily look exactly like everybody that you go to church looks like, but you can see and hear and witness the truth of how we are all celebrating the same gospel. And so for new believers, that would be an encouragement. But I think for us today, for even those of us who've been Christians for some time, isn't it a reminder that our traditions don't define the gospel? The gospel, it it transcends our traditions, our styles. But it's the same gospel. Because there's only one gospel. And then I think of church kids. I'm I'm technically a church kid. I mean, I, I technically grew up in church. I sat in seats just like many of you are sitting in. And I heard the gospel. And I heard the gospel. And I heard the gospel. And then one day, I heard the gospel. And one day I realized that this gospel I hear about it's not my mom and dad's gospel It's not my grandma and grandpa's gospel. This is god's gospel And it is the only way I can be saved And my eyes were open to the truth of who jesus is and I was gloriously saved And so for every kid in this room Every boy and girl in this room every teenager in this room Let this be a reminder that the gospel that you hear preached and that sometimes you've just been dragged to church because that's what you do. And then you have to listen to whoever's up there hollering and yelling and sweating and whatever else. This gospel you hear, it is God's gospel. And it is the only gospel that ultimately will save you and determine your eternal destiny. So, you know, here's how the truth is applied. Here's how this idea that the gospel is for the whole world And it just has shown up in the whole world The way this is applied is simply this Think about it this way. How's the gospel at work? It it, there's only one gospel and that gospel is for everyone and praise god It has shown up in your life if you're a believer And it is showing up still today everywhere where the gospel is preached Ask yourself when did christ enter your life? How do we see god working throughout the world? Wherever the gospel is being preached And sinners are being saved and churches are being founded We see the work of the gospel. So see see what paul's doing. He's saying first listen the gospel shows up And then the second thing is the gospel produces change So that's the second thing the gospel shows up and then secondly the gospel Produces change. Look what he says Okay, which has come to you is indeed in the whole world. It is and what is it doing? What is it doing in the lives of the people in that church? And what is it doing in people's lives in churches throughout the world? Look what it says. It is bearing fruit and it's increasing. And it also, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So how do we see that the gospel produces change? It's bearing fruit and it's increasing. It does it in your lives and it does it in every person's life no matter where they are saved throughout the world So notice a couple of things here about the way that the gospel produces change first It it produces change bearing fruit and increasing So paul again personifies the gospel for a second time At first he said it's a guest that shows up at someone's home Shows up in your life. But now he says that the gospel is a seed that lands on soil and then produces something. So this seed of the gospel fell on their hearts, took root, and now it is bearing fruit in their life. There's no doubt that Paul is echoing the language of the creation account in Genesis 1. In other words, the gospel possesses a life-producing, fruit-bearing power like a seed does. You take seed, you throw it on the ground, and whatever it is, and generally if it takes root and it germinates, what's going to happen? Life is going to come forth. Something's going to come from it. And Paul is saying that's the gospel. It is a seed, and when it is cast, it will produce life. And it will produce life because through the gospel Salvation is sown throughout the world and the harvest is a new creation people whose lives are transformed by jesus christ That's that's the implication here When he says that it's bearing fruit and increasing He's just simply saying that people who have been saved through the gospel their lives are being transformed now As we stated the last time when we looked at verses 3 through 5 and eventually we'll speed up how fast we're going through this But paul observes in verse 3 That when he thanks god the father of our lord jesus christ when he prays for them Since we heard of your faith in christ jesus of the love that you have for all the saints And because of the hope The hope laid up for you in heaven And so paul observes that the fruit in their lives is faith in christ love for all the saints and hope in heaven Now certainly we could observe that these people once worshiped idols They once lived in lives of sin and rebellion against god But the point is is that all of that had changed And what paul said to the corinthians is true of the colossians If any man is in christ, he is a new creature the old is passed away Behold the new has come in other words. They're new people. They're the new creation That is being formed or created through the gospel rather than the seed of Adam And so the point is clear is that the gospel produces change in our life now listen There's not a person in this room who would stand up and say i'm a christian And I believe the gospel of jesus christ and god has saved me Every one of us would say that on one level or another Jesus christ has changed the complete trajectory of all of our lives All of our lives that is not to suggest that I have it together or that anyone in this room has it together It's kind of an interesting irony, isn't it? My life at times is certainly a mess, but it is a mess that has jesus in the center of it And he has brought a new creation and even though the old the old man and all the old desires They're they're going away. The reality is the new has come He's making us into new people. He's at work in our lives And that's what paul is saying here That they are new creatures They are a new people But the question that we have to ask is, how does the gospel produce this change? What happened that transformed their lives? Well, the text says it. Look at it. Since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Don't miss this connection. I know it's somewhat of a repeat in some ways from the emphasis when we talked about a church to being thankful for the church, but I don't want you to miss this The point is is that the agent of change is the truth of the gospel itself Paul says since the day you heard and understood the message of god's grace and truth You've all been transformed What did they hear that transformed them and now is bearing fruit the message of grace? I mean take go back to when I told you when I was a kid sitting where many in the front rows are sitting I, what message changed me the message of grace the good news that sinners can be saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ right there right then and there whatever age I was or whatever time that was I don't remember but all I know is is that at that moment when God opened my eyes to the gospel my life has been has not been the same since and it's the message of the gospel The message of grace and truth that is transforming It's the message of grace. They heard the message of grace The grace of god in the truth of the gospel. Listen to what paul tells titus for the grace of god Has appeared bringing salvation for all people Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age In other words, what Paul is saying to Titus and then here to the Colossian Christians is this God has shown grace to hell-deserving sinners Through the truth of the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead And the grace and the truth they go together And the result is this the salvation of any person is simply the gracious act of God unearned and undeserved Now the colossians need to hear that and so do you and I today You know why and we need to hear it over and over again because it is refreshing to hear that Think about it Think of all the superstitious and mystic nonsense that's out there today That was out there in the day that paul was preaching out there on the marketplace of spirituality yoga or The 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 path of enlightenment or karma or healing stones Or empty your mind meditation Or religious experience Right. That's not what was preached. That wasn't the message What was the message? It was the grace of god in truth So you take all those things And add this to it the message of grace is not rules It is not rules and laws and then more rules and laws and then more rules and laws, you, you know, why, you know, you know why none of that can transform because it kills you. That's what it does. Right. I, I mean, at what point, I don't care what we're talking about when we're talking about religious, we're talking about the the rules of religion or, or we're talking about forms of meditation or we're talking about, uh, the path enlightenment or karma or any of that other stuff at what point does any of that any other any, any of those things that people might follow at what point does a person have full assurance? That they're whole You follow me at what point do they know that they're actually right with God? At what point do they know that their sins are forgiven? The announcement of grace is that we can actually have assurance and, and, and I believe, without any doubt, that the most distinguishing characteristic of the Christian faith is this. You ready? It's grace. You can't over-preach grace. You can't overemphasize grace. You can't outdo grace. When people raise and say, well, wait, no, we, we gotta be careful. We don't, you know, Martin Lloyd Jones says, you preach grace and then preach more grace. And preach it in this in the form of grace that comes through the gospel Grace is it is truly The most distinguishing mark of the christian faith because it's refreshing It truly brings peace Rooted in christ. Have you ever seen those old mountain dew commercials? I'm talking about in the 80s Right the 80s commercials. It's always summer and everybody is always either at the creek or the river or the lake right it's hot everybody's having a good time but they look exhausted right and then this guy who looks nothing like me like swings across on a rope no that was another one he and his he and his girlfriend jump off this 20 foot cliff that's not me right looks terrifying he lands in the in the river and then the next scene is he's Shaking his hair and the water's going everywhere and he and his girlfriend are drinking that Mountain Dew And then the the line comes across the screen. Give me a do Just make it simple. Give me a do and it's completely refreshing and it's totally renewing I know that's a terrible illustration, but the point is (laughs) The point is this The grace of god is truly refreshing in fact, I would say that the most earth-shaking, groundbreaking, life-changing, mind-blowing, soul-refreshing message of Christianity is the grace of God. Grace is the heartbeat of the gospel, and it is Christianity's gift to the entire world from God himself. And so that's what God uses to bring sinners to himself. I mean, that's what he says. He says, since you day, you heard it. And and, and here's the reality. Every one of us sitting in this room, listen, you didn't get here in the status of being a Christian because you thought it made sense. You didn't become a Christian because you heard a great apologetic argument. I'm not saying you might, you might've heard a lot of good apologetic arguments, but you became a Christian because you heard for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You were in a Sunday school class somewhere and you heard that it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. You heard of the amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saves wretches like me and like all of us. And when you heard the message of grace, the Holy Spirit brought you to the cross. And you believed. And from that moment, that's what Paul's saying. From the moment you heard it and you understood it and everything that it meant. That God forgives you fully, accepts you completely. At that moment, your life began to be changed by the message of grace and the truth of Jesus' finished work. Now, you may say, well, I didn't seem as excited as you are when you're up here talking like that. That's why... But look at the text. Paul's not talking about an emotional feeling. He's just talking about the truth, heard, understood, and then in the heart, embraced, and then begins to work. That's how seed works seed is thrown, lands on the ground, takes root, the water germinates it, the Holy Spirit germinates that gospel, and then suddenly out of the ground is a tree or a vine that produces fruit. That's our lives, believers. The gospel landed, took root. The spirit germinated that seed. And here we all, all of us at different places in our Christian lives, transformed by the power of the gospel. So here's the truth applied. How's the gospel at work? Well, first it shows up. Shows up in that city, shows up in their lives, shows up all over the world. And then it produces change. The gospel has fruit-bearing power through its message of grace. And I'll simply add this. How is the gospel bearing fruit in your life? Think about that. Think about the ways that god has transformed you. I get it None of us would say we are what we hope to be one day But we certainly with john wesley can say we're not what we once were All because of christ But let me ask us this as a church Are we committed to the message? And to the culture of grace as gospel people That's what people need to find when they're in our midst We, they need to find a kind and gracious people because we have received the kindness and grace of God. But that brings me to a third and final point. So the gospel showed up. See how Paul shows how this all works? The gospel showed up. It came to them. And then after it showed up like a guest, it, it showed up like seed falling on a ground, on the ground. It took root and it began to tr- change them. It began to produce change. But then the third and final thing is this, is that the gospel, the gospel bore fruit because someone shared it with them. So the third thing we see is the gospel must be shared. That's the third thing. Look at the text just as you learned it. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. How did the gospel show up? How did it suddenly get there? How did it begin to transform their lives? Because someone shared it with them. So this morning, observe this, that the gospel must be shared. Believers, we must share the gospel with others. You know why because god has ordained both the message of salvation and the means for salvation Nowhere does paul just say kind of mystically arrived in colossae Some guy named epaphras believed the gospel and then he went to his city and he began to tell others about christ No one will be saved apart from our telling others about christ salvation is completely by god's grace Yet God in his sovereign providence chooses people like you and me to make that grace known. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 10? How then will they call on him in whom they have not heard or have believed, not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, telling, sharing the gospel? So I just want you to think about this idea. Think of it in two ways think of it personally Church think of it personally I think the the personal implication is you and I need to be intentional wherever god has you That's where you start It's you okay. I need to share the gospel. Well, well, who, who should I share share with? Maybe you're in a situation where you wake up every morning and you know what all you have are these Little faces who need you to feed them and need you to change them and take care of them Who do you share the gospel with start there? Start there God's given you God's given you an audience and guess what? They can't even respond to you They can't even get mad at you Take advantage of it start there I remember I remember when I don't know. It's like this light bulb went on off my head You hear all this preaching about the great commission and I got to look, at how how's my wife? I mean, how do we fulfill? Where do we start with that? And Like I, I would look at all the things that she was struggling with just with, with all these kids So I remember you know what we need to be shared We're worried about everybody else, but we need to also be worried about them Worried in the sense that we need to be faithful to sharing the gospel So they were about four or five when that I think Yeah, ellie was ellie Gabriel like four or five years old when that light bulb went off And so I said, you know what we're going to do every morning. We are going to drag them They're going to gather at my table And we're gonna share the gospel So my wife said well, what's that mean? That means they got to get up 30 minutes early And there they were yawning and, you know, falling asleep. And there I am with this devotional book reading to them about Christ. But you know what the point is? They probably don't remember any of that. But the point is this. Start where you are. You are His witnesses in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Who needs the gospel around us and let us be intentional in finding ways to bring the gospel into our conversation To stimulate questions that may come to us or to speak into people's lives Who are going through difficult things so that we can eventually at some point Share with them the good news of jesus So we have to think of that personally, but the other way we have to think of it is corporately Let us as a church pray and strategize how we can evangelize And in fact to that degree as god called me here to be the pastor of this church I I look forward to to thinking through how do we reach Others around us with the gospel So When we think of that The gospel is for everyone and everyone needs the gospel and so we should be strategizing Thinking through what what can we do what works what doesn't work? So that we can be faithful in sharing the gospel with others. And at the same time as we think about that. By God's grace anyone that's ever comes into this building and walks into this service. May it always be said that they hear the gospel from this pulpit. So you see that you see clearly that they're share the gospel with others. But the other thing you see is they're thankful for faithful ministers. Look what the text says that they're thank. He says Epaphras. You guys heard it from Epaphras. Because the gospel must be shared. The church needs ministers who are faithful to the gospel. Paul is abundantly thankful for this uh, this fellow minister. Look what he goes on to say later in Colossians. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea in Hierapolis So what marks a faithful minister of the word? Well l- Look at what you see in, in in the text. He's committed to the word. He's faithful to Christ and he's loyal to the church To so those things be thankful for and, and, and So let me just speak personally. I've done this a couple times. I'm gonna do it again You know, I'm thankful for pastor Klein and his faithfulness to the gospel it's a joy to build on the foundation that already exists. And you know what? Beyond that, as I've come here and been here for just a little while, I'm thankful for the pastors in this church, for the ministers of the gospel that are also ministering under their capacities. I think of the teachers in the Sunday school classes, whether it's in the nursery, to the youth, to the adult classes, we should praise God for the ministry, for their ministry of the word. And then as you think about that, that's what Paul's doing. He's thanking God for Epaphras. Who are the Epaphrases in your life that you can be thankful for? And what those people do for us is it just reminds us that the gospel must be shared. But there's one other thing real quickly. It says that even while Paul was thankful for Epaphras, he's also thankful for the church. And you know what he says look at the text It says that they love one another in the spirit. That's the last thing in this section He says listen epaphras is a faithful minister of christ on your behalf and epaphras has talked about you He's told me and others about your love in the spirit And so as paul mentions epaphras, he tells them that epaphras has been talking about them He's been talking up the colossians And reports of their love for one another You know everywhere i've gone every conversation i've had it has been such a joy To speak of all of you To speak of this church of this body of these believers Of what god is doing here and what a humble grace it is To be able to serve you and to serve with you That's the that's the idea here and so, and so he says that, that he is thankful for the existence of this church, a church that loves one another through the gospel. And it's clear that Epaphras considered this church in Colossae a gift from God. If you've been reading the Christmas, the um, Gifts of Grace, this was a quote that was in, that, in the devotional that some of us are reading. Some of you are reading along with me from this week. I love this. Jared Wilson writes, do you believe that your church is a gift? Not just the church, your church, the local assembly that you attend in person, the one with the messy people, the awkward people, the weird people. I don't know about any all that, but anyway, the one with the pastor you wish was a little more gifted at some things and a little less prone to others. That church, he says, is a gift. The normal garden variety congregation, warts and all, is a gift of God to the Christian. And so, Jared Wilson goes on to say that, that the only thing that explains the existence of such a church is the gospel. The only thing that explains us being together, sitting through these sermons, and, and worshiping together, and loving one another, and serving one another... Is that the gospel has made us a family That the grace of god has come to us and 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 in and through jesus has called us to god to magnify him And we are no longer in the gospel Strangers aren't just made into friends. Enemies are made into brothers and sisters And he says what a wonder And I think the point is clear If we're going to share the gospel Then we definitely need to do that on an individual basis and even as a corporate basis We also need to make sure that everyone that was being ministered in the church is ministering the gospel But if we're going to share the gospel Then we got to love one another And that this has to be a healthy body So that the world can see That we are working through our problems and our imperfections And we are loving one another in christ so here's the truth applied. How's the gospel at work? It's being shared Will we be faithful to share the gospel with others? Are we thankful for those who minister to the word and are we seeking to love one another? Well in conclusion, do you remember the christmas tree I mentioned in the beginning? You can go to our house and you can see all sorts of things You see ornaments that have kids getting their license and kids graduating from school and Just all sorts of breaking legs and whatever else has happened over the years But that christmas that christmas tree shows you what's going on in our lives And so here in this passage you have seen How god is work in the life how god is at work in the life of the church He shows up in the gospel. He transforms us And the message of grace and truth is shared with others And so church listen The fruit of the gospel is truly the church Throughout the world filled with people being changed by christ And who love one another as god's new creation Let it be our prayer Let it be our prayer that this will continue to be our church In the years ahead together May the lord continue to transform lives may our love for one another Continue to grow and may we never cease teaching and preaching the truth